Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 21. In way of a background to our study tonight, let's look back at chapter 20. Paul has made three missionary journeys. He is returning now, and he is, it's almost like a wonderful victory march as he's coming back into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, But along the way, there are warnings that are coming to him. One's going to be by a prophet named Agabus uh, concerning the, the troubles that he's going to get into when he gets to Jerusalem. And they beg him not to go. And he just says, don't break my heart like that. I have to go. I'm willing to die for the Lord. Don't try to talk me out of doing it. But he got into all the, all the trouble that um, was foretold was there. Chapter 20 actually concluded with this tender meeting he had with the Ephesians elders at Miletus. Now I'm going to put a map up of Paul's second missionary journey, but we'll also be able to use it as we show the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey. If you can find Ephesus, that would be... um, six, seven, and eight. And right where Ephesus is, if you go directly below it, and if you go to chapter 20 and look at verse 17, we're told from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called for the elders of the church. So as we begin chapter 21, It says, when it came to pass that when he had departed from them. Well, the question is, departed from where? It wasn't actually um, Ephesus. It was actually Miletus, but they were right next door to each other. And then they had this, um, the rest of chapter 20 is um, Paul uh, saying his final words to them. This was last Sunday's study. Um, we talked about all the trials he went through in verse 24, even with all the trials. His attitude was, but none of these things move me. That's verse 24. No matter what he went through, no matter how difficult it was, he just says, I can't let that stop me. It reminds me of Jesus knowing what awaited him at the cross. And when he prayed in Gethsemane, he knew full well what was about to happen and the gravity of, of what was about to happen, even to the point that he said, Father, if it's possible, if there's any other way that you can accomplish man's salvation without me going to the cross, I vote for that. But there was no other way. And he ended that prayer by saying, but not my will be done, but Lord, your will be done. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 24. He realizes He's going to get warned through a direct prophecy by Agabus. You're in big trouble, buddy. And when you get to Jerusalem, it's going to be all trials. And he says, but none of these things move me. And then he goes on to say, and this was a part of last Sunday's message, verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Uh, One of my main points this Sunday is going to be dealing with uh, some of the issues that are going on 
and what it does to us psychologically, emotionally. It can lead to despair and depression. And um, there's really only one answer for that recovery of that condition. And my friends, it's what we're doing right now. Not shutting to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And what I like about it is that it's honest. When you read the, the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it doesn't pull any punches. It lays it all out. And it's, if you get anything out of the study tonight, it's just how graphic uh, the people that talk to Paul are. And none of it's good. <laughs> none of it's good. But he says, none of these things will be. He says here, um, uh, we'll read about it a little bit later here. Um, Don't break my heart by telling me these things. Um, So with that much of a background, as we look at um, 21, let's just call it verse 1a. So, It came to pass that when he had departed from them. Well, departed from where? Well, he parted not from Ephesus, but from Miletus, which is right below Ephesus. Uh, They set sail, running a straight course. He came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a sailing, a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, he went aboard and set sail, And when he sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left. Now, look at the map again. And you can see six is where Ephesus and Miletus would be, even though this is a more accurate map of his second missionary journey. It can be used to give you some sort of a a picture of his third missionary journey. So you can see where Cyprus is, and um, that would be number seven passing underneath it, and landed at Tyre. Now, Tyre is in um, what would today be uh, Lebanon. It is right on the Mediterranean Sea, and um, it would have been a port city. And from there, the ships was to unload her cargo. So Tyre... If he would go north of um, Caesarea, north of where modern-day Haifa would be, the next major city up would be the city of Tyre, even though we don't have Haifa on the map here, or Tyre. uh, It it would be... mm, um, If you look at number nine on the map and then go straight towards the Mediterranean Sea... That is where Tyre would be, and also close uh, to uh, modern-day Haifa. And from there, the ship was to unload her cargo. Now, finding disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, I just want you to think about this. Here, we have born-again believers. They're hearing... They feel they heard from the Lord, from the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem um, because of the trials that are going to take place there. 
And when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were all out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. So again, getting back uh, to chapter 20, the main thing that happened there is he's saying goodbye to people that he's never going to see again. And um, um, this was also a leaving. Verse six, and when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. Um, Sort of reminds me of, of the conference. Here's people I get to see once a year, not just the speakers, but there's people that come and you don't you don't see them uh, for a whole year. But um, I talk to people that have been coming for all 23 of the years that we had the conference, and um, a lot of them I've never met, but quite a few of them came up and um, just commenting on on what a what a blessing it. Uh, it was my personal prayer is I hope there's not a 24 <laughs> I would like this to be it <laughs> with all the craziness that's going on in the world so from verses 1 to 6 what we have is um, um, Paul leaving Miletus saying goodbye to the elders sailing past Cyprus and ending up in uh, verse um, uh, what, six or seven? And where they end up in Tyre in three. And then they are making their way up to Jerusalem. In verses seven through 16, it says, and when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to uh, Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we, who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea. Now Caesarea, again, is uh, just uh, uh, one of the most beautiful places. The the water there in the Mediterranean is beautiful blue-green. And um, it was the city And I'm going to stop and do a little sidetrack here. And they entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Let's go back a little bit. We have the day of Pentecost. We have 3,000 people getting saved. And we have uh, Barnabas selling his property, and uh, that's a lot of mouths to feed. People weren't going home. They were staying in Jerusalem and they had to be taken care of. And so they picked seven guys out and one of the seven was um, Philip. And uh, it says here he was an evangelist. Well, back in when, when they were picking these guys out, he was waiting on tables. And then we know that he went to Samaria and... Um, All these people are getting saved. Miracles are getting done. Uh, Simon, the the town sorcerer, actually believes and gets baptized. Uh, But he was not allowed to 
received the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, because his heart wasn't right. So this is the same Philip that in the middle of this revival that's happening in Samaria that the Holy Spirit taps him on the shoulder and said, I want you to go to Gaza. Doesn't tell him why. Leave all the action that's happening here. And if I'm Philip, I'm thinking Gaza. It's known as the Gaza Strip today. You know what's there? Desert. Absolutely nothing. So if I'm Philip, now I'm thinking, Lord, that this doesn't make any sense. But the point in the application here is there's going to be times that the Lord's going to speak to you. And, well, that makes no sense at all. But he did it anyway. And as he gets there, you know the story. Um, the treasurer of Ethiopia went to Jerusalem to worship. Well, he couldn't really worship because he didn't know the Lord yet. I call him an honest seeker. And now he's making his way back from Jerusalem, going back to Ethiopia, and all of a sudden, there's Philip. And he sees this guy in a chariot. And he's sitting there with the Bible open to Isaiah chapter 53. And the Lord says, okay, now you're here. Now I'm going to tell you why you're here. Go and join yourself with that guy. So he goes up to him and he says, um, you understand what you're reading? And he goes, well, how can I? So he's not saved yet unless somebody would show me. And he was reading Isaiah chapter 53. And of course, that whole chapter is about the Lord's death. Um, It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. That's where we get that scripture from. Our sins were placed upon him. And so Philip is just preaching the gospel to this guy. And there's a gap where... Philip explains to him about being baptized if you believe. But it doesn't tell us that in the story. But we know that Philip had to say it because the guy said, look, hey, there's some water right there. Why can't I be baptized? And here was, here's the condition. If you're a new believer, you need to be baptized. And we'll have a baptism this, this summer. And um, so he's, he said, here's the condition. If you believe with all your heart, you can. And he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he baptized him right there. Well, what happened to Philip? He disappeared. (laughs) How do you think that guy went back to Ethiopia? Not only saved and baptized, but how many people can say the, the guy that baptized you disappeared and was found in a city 20 miles away? Azotus. Well, if you go just a little bit north of Azotus, you run into Caesarea. We don't hear any more about Philip until right here. He, that's the whole scenario. From Samaria to Gaza to Azotus. And then, if you could see just how beautiful this place is, I could see why Philip would say, I'm hunkering down here. <laughs> but what else we learn about him is he either got married there Um, we read he entered the house of Philip the Evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four 
virgin daughters who prophesied. So Philip is no longer the traveling evangelist. He's settled down. He has a family. He has four girls. And they have the gift of uh, prophecy. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt bound his own hands and feet. In other words, he's dramatizing, he's playing out what's gonna happen to Paul and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he's telling them straight out what's gonna happen if he goes to Jerusalem. And when he heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Um, This is what's going to happen, Paul. Don't do it. And then Paul answered, and this is great, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Basically, he's saying, "I I love you guys. And they're saying it to Paul because they love Paul. Oh, what are you guys doing, man? You're just breaking my heart by asking me not to do this. And then he says, for I'm not only ready to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Somebody else said that. Who was it? It was Peter, remember? Though I'll deny you, I will never deny you. I will die for you. Peter, tonight you're gonna deny you know me three times. Never, I would never do that, Lord. I would die for you. But we know the story, when it came right down to it, they all forsook him. And um, when he denied it the third time, he was actually close enough to the Lord, if you can imagine Peter standing over here on the side, and um, this little girl coming up to Peter and say, you're one of those guys. I recognize that accent. It's Galilean. And he says, it says he cursed and he swore. I don't know him. And the Lord was looking this way, but then he looks this way. And uh, he often imagined what was the expression on the Lord's face. Was it, oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. You let me down. I don't think that was it at all. The Lord was not surprised one bit. He knew before Peter knew exactly what was gonna happen. And it wasn't a look was, told you so. (laughs) That wasn't a look either. It was a look that when you stumble or fall, the scripture that comes to mind is that we are men and women who have feet of clay. So we were back with Agabus and um, Paul's in his state of mind is, I love you guys too, but you're breaking my heart by telling me not to do this. And I'm, I'm ready to die for the Lord. And um, he was ready to die for the Lord. And as a matter of fact, he did die for the Lord. He was beheaded in Rome, eventually. So all the disciples, except for John, all died for the Lord, literally. 
And um, verse 14, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, they gave up and said, okay, the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Again, I'll point up out that whenever you go to Jerusalem, it always says you go up to it or you come down from it. North, south, east, or west, it doesn't matter. You're going up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them one Manasan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. So from verses 7 to 16, we have this prophecy. We find out that Philip has settled down in Caesarea, that he has four girls that have the gift of prophecy. And um, he's warned about what's going to happen to him once he gets to Jerusalem. Now from verses 7 through 16, 17, uh, um, 17 through 26, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and the elders were present. Now let me stop and make a point here. Um, and it, it deals with um, oh, just leadership, um, pastors, elders, deacons, and um, the Bible talks about all of them, apostles. My personal conviction is in order to be an apostle is you had to be an eyewitness of Jesus after he rose from the dead. And that there's good Bible teachers that don't agree with me on that, and that's fine. This is something I would not be dogmatic about but the, uh, the gift of being an apostle, um, I believe what we have here for James, and it says, and the elders. Remember when they had the meeting about the Gentiles? And um, um, they were putting all these restrictions. We'll get into more of that, that Gentiles had to be circumcised. So they had this great big meeting in Acts chapter, I can't remember, 15, I think it was. And everybody had their say. Peter had his say, and then Paul got up and talked. And then, after they heard what the Lord was doing, we'll probably talk about Cornelius tonight and how he got saved. It was James that stood up. So I see James here. This is um, the second martyr after Stephen was James, the brother of John. James and John, the sons of thunder, right? Well, this is a different James. This is the Lord's half-brother. And when we read the book of James, that's who the author is. Here, he seems to be what I would call the pastor of, of the church in Jerusalem. It, it separates him, and it says, he went to James and to the elders that were present. And when we had greeted them, he told detailed those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. 
And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Then they said to him, you see, brother, how many midrids of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Now this is what's going on in Jerusalem. The word's out on Paul. And that he's actually talking to Gentiles. And this was not acceptable for a Jew in any way, shape, or form. And they're adding to, they're confused about this. They're saying, uh, to, to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. So they're going to be a bunch of Jews that are going to be getting together and are going to be going after Paul. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believed, we have written and decided that they should observe no no such things, we're talking about circumcision here, except that they should keep themselves uh, from idols, from blood, and from things strangled and from sexual immorality. The one that would really apply um, primarily to us because uh, what they would do when they would go to market, some of the, uh, the food would be offered to an idol. And so that was a big no-no. Um, but that doesn't mean anything for us as Gentiles today. But there are certain things, obviously, that you stop doing once you're born again. Good place for an amen. And one of them is you stop sleeping around. And the other one is um, um, you don't take the name of the Lord in vain. You can't do that anymore. Uh, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We don't do that. We bless the name of the Lord. We thank the Lord. We're grateful for the Lord. And so there's obvious things that we just don't do anymore. And this last one here, sexual immorality, would be the big one. And as I see, here's a, here's a sidetrack what's going on right now. This is what's being broken down in our society today. I think I mentioned it on Sunday that they just legalized prostitution in New York. And um, uh, just across, uh, who did I meet? I, meet? I met a school teacher um, who's coming to Calvary now and he just quit his job. Are you here tonight? He's probably watching it online. This is our home fellowship. He came up and introduced himself to him, and he says, um, just thought we should introduce ourselves to you. Uh, we've been coming. I said, well, what do you do? He says, well, I used to be a school teacher. I said, well, what do you mean you used to be a school teacher? And he said, I quit. And I said, okay, why did you quit? 
And he said, because of what they want us to teach in the public school systems today. And I said, I'm, I commend you. I just said it right out. So he's got a wife and a couple of kids. And he says, I'm just simply not going to do it. I will not teach that. So um, the same idea here. You just There's certain things that, uh, as Christians, I'm not going to do that. And uh, these young kids that are so impressionable at that time, confused, and really look up to, you know, teachers. Now, everybody here can remember their favorite teacher. Mine was Mrs. Chestnut, sixth grade, Merrill School, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And believe me, that's really coming back from the back of my head. <laughs> but um, they, they leave an impression. And um, this woman I just took a liking to, and, um, and um, boy, I haven't thought of her in many years. I can tell you the one I, I disliked the most, that was Mrs. Shannon. I'm sure she's been gone for a long time. Well, I got strep throat one year, and I missed a good portion of fifth grade. So you know what she did? She made me repeat fifth grade. And all my friends were going on to sixth grade. So top of the do not like list of teachers is Mrs. Shannon. I couldn't tell you another name of a teacher that I ever had. (laughs) Those two I remember. Um, So we have here Paul determined um, uh, to, to go on to Jerusalem. And we read here the list of do's and don'ts. We left off in verse 25, 26. Then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the day of purification. Remember, that's why he wanted to get to Jerusalem, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So Paul makes it to Jerusalem. That was his goal. Uh, He's warned not to go. Um, He conforms himself to the Jewish customs as he's going to be up on the Temple Mount. Now, I point this out because there's going to be a misunderstanding here of a certain man named uh, Trophimus, and he's coming up in verse 29. So, let's pick it up in verse 27 through 39. Verse 27, and when the seven days were almost ended, The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Well, what did Agabus say? Said, you're gonna get to Jerusalem and they're they're gonna come after you. Now, because it's a feast, and if you're a Jew, remember, you go to the the feasts. And they start stirring up the crowd, saying, men of Israel, help! This is the guy. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place. 
Now this isn't true. They assumed this. For we go on to read, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, okay, with him in the city. So they're making the assumption because they saw him with this guy from Ephesus um, that he, Paul, must have brought this guy up on the Temple Mount too, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. The big word there is supposed. He wasn't. He went through all the ritual customs so that he wouldn't offend. But to bring a Gentile would have definitely been an offense. Verse 30. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, so that was the intent to kill Paul, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers, centurions, and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. All right, Uh, the crowd is all stirred up. They're in a frenzy. They're beating Paul up. But remember that Jerusalem is a Roman province. Remember when we talked about the big uprise that happened in Ephesus? And um, they brought that to an end when the Roman um, person in command said, what do you guys think you're doing? We're going to have to give an account to Rome for all the activities here. And that's what's going on right now. They're beating up Paul, uh, but as soon as the, the Roman authority shows up, and their job is to prevent just such things from happening. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. Okay, what'd you do? Why are you getting beaten up? And some among the multitudes cried one thing and some said another. And when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, the confusion, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. This would be Paul. They couldn't get a straight answer. Nobody knew for sure. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed out crying after him, away with him. In other words, kill him. And as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, can I speak to you? And he responded, can you speak Greek? He says, aren't you the Egyptian who some time ago raised an insurrection and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness, they had a misunderstanding too. So there's all these rumors going around. Oh, that's the guy that, that uh, started this uh, thing and 4,000 people were involved with it. And uh, so they had it wrong. And in verse 39, but Paul says, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in, Sic- in Sicilia a citizen 
of no mean city, and I implore you to permit me to speak to the people. So in the middle of this, they're taking him off to jail. Paul speaks to the Roman guy in authority, says, can I have a chance to talk with these people? Verse 40, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, Antonio Fortress, that's what I was trying to think of in the back of my head. Let me explain how this works on the Temple Mount. Antonio Fortress would be on the, um, let's see, it would be on the north um, east corner of the Temple Mount. It was much higher than any other structure. And Antonio's fortress, the main purpose of it was, is this is where the Romans would stand and look over the whole temple. They looked down upon it, just for situations such as this. And uh, that's where they came from. And that's probably where they were taking him back to. Now, when we go to Jerusalem, we can actually go to the Temple Mount and we can actually walk down some stairs, some 30 feet, and we can walk, oh, it's a little bit narrower than this right here. And you can go from the Wailing Wall all the way to, and they take you to where the pools for Antonio Fortress could be. So the ruins, obviously, Antonio's Fortress is not there anymore, but you can actually see the remains of it. There's two big pools of water that would have been the bottom source of where their water supply would have come from. It no longer exists, and then you could actually take that. Years ago, you could take it right into the um, Arab quarter of the old city. And you can't do that anymore. You have to get to that certain point, Antonio's Fortress, and they won't let you go into the Arab quarter anymore, so you have to turn around and walk all the way back. And that's the way they they do it these days. So anyway... um, We find he's given permission in verse 40 for what he had been given permission. Paul stood at the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. I imagine it would look something like this. Everybody's freaking out and Paul's trying to get their attention and he can't do it. Uh, Nobody is for sure who he is and this is how he gets their attention. And he motioned with his hands, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Well, when he started speaking in Hebrew, you could hear a pin drop. Everything changed. Chapter 22. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then he said, he's setting the record straight exactly who he is. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, among all the teachers, what the tour guides will tell us, and... uh, um, other sources that this was the 
the, the most respected and revered of the teachers. And Paul's using this now as saying, listen, I sat under the best. And uh, he's using this to give himself more credibility. Speaking in Hebrew, that, that got him to listen, but then he drops names. And we all know what it's like when people drop names. Um, and he, in this case, it wasn't to draw attention to himself or make himself look more important, but actually that's what's happening. Taught according to the strictest of our father's laws and was zealous towards God, even as you are today. He says, you guys think you're good Jews? Listen, I was brought up under Gamaliel. And concerning being a Jew, I was a Pharisee. The strictest of the sects. I persecuted the way to the death binding and delivering into prison both men and women. So what we're gonna get into now is they have no idea who he is. So what does Paul do? He lays out his testimony. He's gonna tell them what happened to him and what we can get out of this is one of the most powerful tools you have is how the Lord got a hold of your life. And... um, I think it's Johnny Cash song. I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. <laughs> Isn't that a great title for a song? I was there when it happened, so I guess I ought to know. <laughs> and that's what he's saying. And that's what he's getting into here. I persecuted the Christians to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the counsel of the elders for whom I also receive letters to the brethren. You guys don't believe me? Go ask the high priest. I went and got documentation that once I got to Damascus, I would have authority to take these Christians and bring them back and, and um, have them dealt with. I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. He was radical. Uh, But he says, as it happened, I journeyed and came near Damascus. Damascus, it was about noon. And suddenly a great light from heaven shone round me. And I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered and said, what he leaves out here that we know happened when he gives his testimony. Paul, don't you know it's hard to kick a cactus? That's left out here. In other words, it's hard to to fight against me. So I answered, who are you, Lord? He knew it was the Lord. So I said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with him indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, well, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. 
Then one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, um, Christian though, and having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. Now here is Paul using a little tack. Here's a Jew who's born again. He doesn't tell him the whole story. He just tells him he's a Jew with a good testimony. Does it say anything about him being a Christian? Nope. That's called being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And you'll see why in just a minute, why he does this. Came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. In that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness to all men of what you have been, what you have seen and heard. Well, what's happening right now? That's exactly what he's doing. He's in Jerusalem, he's on his way to prison, waves his hand, speaks in Hebrew, and he's sharing his testimony in front of all these people. And you can, like I said, you could hear a pin drop. And exactly what Ananias prophesied is being fulfilled right here. Um, Verse 16, and now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I missed a verse here, I gotta go back. Uh, For you will be witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Paul is saying, this is how I got saved. I was blind for three days. After I got my eyesight back, I was baptized. And then it happened when I was returning to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, uh, they know that in every synagogue I was imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of your uh, martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death. Now here's something that we learn. We know that Paul was involved in consenting, but what Acts 22 tells us is what his responsibility was while they're killing Stephen. It says here that he was guarding the clothes of those who were killing them. So evidently, they're taking off their jackets so they could have more swing room, I imagine. And it was um, Paul who was making sure that nobody ripped him off. That was his job. But he was consenting to it. And then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Okay, this is a major verse right here. Because remember earlier when um, he was talking about Ananias. He said he's a good Jew. He's got good character. No, he was a Christian. 
but it doesn't say he was a Christian. But they're listening up to this point. Remember I said you could have heard a pin drop? Everything changes at this moment, at this verse. And they listened to him until. That's a big little word right here, until. This word, and when they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes, they threw dust into the air. Okay, I want to again do a little sidetrack here. Um, And let's go back to... my notes here. I'd like to go to Acts chapter 10 so we really make the point of what's going on here. They're getting witness to. He definitely has their attention. But let's go back to when God is going to do something that any Jew would think is un... It's, it just can't be done. Gentiles are unclean, period. End of discussion. And that was Peter's attitude. So I'm in Acts chapter 10 right now. Um, Pick it up in verse nine. It says the next day as they went on their way, matter of fact, I'm I'm gonna go through the whole chapter, but I'm not gonna read the whole chapter. But I'll point out the key verses that are here. Um, Paul, it's about, Noon, and it says in verse 10, he's, he's very hungry, not just a little hungry, he's big time hungry. And as he's waiting to eat, he has this um, uh, picnic sheet come down, it says from heaven, and on this blanket or tablecloth were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. In Leviticus, it'll give you a list. These things are clean and you can eat them. These things are unclean and you cannot eat them. And a voice said to me, rise Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. Now this, this is the biggest oxymoron ever invented. <laughs> not so, Lord. And For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So what's being said? What was on that blanket? Things that were forbidden in the book of Leviticus to eat. And Peter's just saying, I can't do that. What about the unclean things that, I can't do it, not so, Lord. And a voice spoke to him again a second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And he's still not getting it. This was done three times and the object was taking up into heaven. 17 up until we come to Cornelius, it says Peter wondered within himself, what in the world is this all about? Now, while this is happening, there is Cornelius and he's a Gentile. An angel appears to him and he wants to know how to have a right relationship with his maker. And he says, I want you to send men to Joppa um, to the man who's a tanner there. 
Um, he's waiting for you. And let's pick it up where Peter actually, these guys show up at the door and say that he has to go to a Gentile's house. And then in verse 28, he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go into one of another's nation's home, basically. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, I get it. I understand the reason for the vision. You're going to save Gentiles. And how do you get that through Peter's sick head? I mean, it does it three times. And then he gets a knock on the door and go, oh, this is what it's all about. In the meantime, Cornelius knows that Peter's gonna come. So what does he do? He gathers all of his friends together um, and he begins, verse 34, he begins to preach the gospel and Peter opened his mouth and said, I, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. There's, we read there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. How does that apply with what's going on today? Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the prejudice that if you're white, that you're automatically prejudiced. No, just to, for, to make the record straight, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are saved people and there are lost people. Can I get an amen on that? Does it matter what nationality or color your skin is? Absolutely not, but they're making that an issue today, not as far as the gospel's concerned, but just society in general. And boy, I could get sidetracked here and I gotta be really careful not to. So he shares the gospel with them and now they're intent and they're just taking it all in. And we get to verse 42 and he has commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Stop. Everything stops right here because thou Cornelius and his friends realizes how they can have a right relationship with God. They know that sin separates a person from God and now they're being told that Jesus died on a cross and took away their sins. And what happens? They all get saved instantaneously. Peter doesn't have to say another word. How do I know that? While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard it. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. See, they didn't see what Peter saw. And all of a sudden, Gentiles are getting saved. And as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit was given and poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter answered, could anyone forbid water that these should not also be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just like us? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Here is the first Gentile that is getting saved. 
Now, the reason I came here, let's go back as we finish this up tonight to chapter 22. And we're left off in verse 21. They're listening intently to Paul now. And the gospel, he's speaking to them in Hebrew. He's giving his testimony. And he has them right in the palm of his hands. And then he comes out and says that now the Lord has sent me to the Gentiles. Reaction to the crowd? That's enough of this. We're not hearing anything more. Verse 22, and they listened to him until. Until this word. What word? That a Gentile could be saved. This is crazy. They're unclean. Gentiles can't be saved. The reason I took you back to Cornelius is to show the reaction that even Peter himself, thick-headed Peter, had to have you know, the Lord give him a drama to explain to him, what I've made clean, don't you dare call him clean. So that's the reaction of the crowd here. And then they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. All these Jews are beside themselves that, that this man, he was making sense up until <laughs> he said Gentiles could be saved. So verse 24, the commander ordered him to be brought back into the barracks. Again, I believe this is Antonio Fortress. And said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they, sh- they shouted so against him. They're just Romans. They don't get it. They don't know the big to-do between the Jews and the Gentiles. And as they bound him with throngs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, you know, is, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who's a Roman and uncondemned? You can't imagine the effect that ha- this had on a Roman. If you were a Roman, and the idea of a Roman being punished without the proper procedure of going through the requirements of this is what you've done, and here's the punishment for it, or this is what, what you were accused of, but now that we've had a court hearing about it, we found out there's nothing to it. None of that has taken place. But now, um, they're, they're gonna scourge him, and Paul drops the bomb. He said, guys, I'm a Jew. I'm a Roman Jew. And I'm uncondemned. And again, this was so strict in Roman society That's why the crowds were silenced in Ephesus. They said, we don't have grounds for this uproar here today and we're gonna be held accountable because there's, this is some dispute over what one person believes over nothing, nothing worthy of a man dying. So we better back off. And when the centurion heard, he went and told the commander saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the commander answered, he said, Well, I bought my Roman citizenship with a whole lot of money. And Paul said, I can do better than that. I was born a citizen. And in the hierarchy of things, that carried more weight 
than the commander who was just bought it with a price. Paul said, not me. I was born into it. Then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid. So here's the top commander in Jerusalem, and he's afraid. Why is he afraid? Because he just scourged, and he would be the, you know, take it back to who's in charge here. Where's the buck going to stop? It's going to stop with this commander. And 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 the damage has already been done. They scourged him. And Paul uses it to his advantage. He says, you guys have any idea what you've just done? I'm a Roman, and you discouraged me. And so when it said here, he was afraid after he found out that he was Roman, and because he had bound him. You don't bound a Roman anyway. Last verse for tonight, the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest all the council to appear and they brought Paul down and set him before them. They were gonna get to the bottom of it and we're not gonna get to the bottom of it until Sunday. So let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we continue to make our way through your word and we look at Acts chapters 21 and 22, um, just the mindset that has to be so much admired, knowing, being warned by prophecy that he's just gonna get in trouble if he keeps on being a Christian. Um, Having an attitude, none of these things move me. And he continues to go on. He was bound, he was beaten, he was scourged. And then he said um, he'd be willing to die for the Lord. Lord, We're grateful that your word uh, tells us the truth of what we could expect when we're full on for you, that we're not gonna be always commended, but oftentimes rejected and and, um, have people be separated, lose friends, some have lost family. But as you've told us that we must put you first, that you have not come to bring peace, but you've come to bring a sword. That even in one own household, there would be a father against a son, um, a husband against a wife, and in a family there would be division because one of the person or people in the family has given their life to you. Lord, Never let us be in that place where we would put any person or anything above you. And we thank you that your word makes that very, very clear to us. So we pray for the rest of this night. Again, I pray for a Friday night. And um, in closing, put somebody in our heart and mind that does not know you, that would like to come out for a steak dinner and have... Paul give his testimony, and then Rob Yardley given the message. Um, we know the hour is late, so help us um, redeem the time wisely. In Jesus' name I pray, and again, all God's people said, amen.